Well, good morning. Encourage you to turn with me this morning to the fifth chapter of Matthew as we started a new series last week through the Sermon on the Mount. This section of the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7, early in Jesus' ministry, where he is teaching a multitude of people who've come before him and giving little pictures of what it looks like to be right with God. One of the neat things about the Bible is that the Bible fits together. It's not because they had a group of editors that said, well, this is what it needs to look like, because the Bible spans a period of about 1,600 years from the first writing of the Bible to the end of the writing, 40 human authors, but the Scripture tells us that those human authors were carried along by the Spirit of God. That as they wrote, they wrote the very words of God. And in that unity of the scripture, we find a unity of themes that tie the Bible together. One of which is the theme of the kingdom. And as the Bible talks about the kingdom, early on as it fleshes out through the end, we find out more and more about the kingdom. We find that it is the Messiah, the anointed king, a descendant of David, who will reign on David's throne forever and ever. And as from the time of 2 Samuel 7 forward, the prophets started writing about the kingdom. The psalmist started writing about the kingdom. There's a need for the kingdom because of what happened clear at the beginning of our Bibles. Remember early in the book of Genesis we are told that God created man and woman and then created the garden where he would come and spend time with man and woman and they would enjoy uh, fellowshipping, being together until sin entered. And God's good creation was tainted. And ever since that point, God is all about bringing redemption to his good creation, purchasing it back from its bondage to sin. The pivotal moment of that act of redemption came at the cross. And it will come to its culmination in the kingdom. This period of time where Jesus the Messiah will take David's throne and then reign forever. All of Israel knew about the kingdom. All of Israel knew that in order to get into the kingdom, a person has to be righteous. Meaning they have to be upright. They have to be right with God. If God sets a standard, which he does in his word, to be righteous means to align one's life with that right standard. And a person cannot enter the kingdom apart from being righteous because God will be there. And in order to be in the presence of righteous God, one must be righteous. Must be right with him. 
So as we come to the beginning of the New Testament in the book of Matthew, in chapter 3 we come across this guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has a a very simple message in chapter 3 verse 2. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what John the Baptist was saying is that this kingdom that we've been looking for, where the Messiah, the anointed one, will sit on David's throne forever and ever. It's coming. And so we need to prepare for it. We need to repent. We need to stop walking away from God and come back to Him, align our lives with Him. As we come to chapter 4, Jesus begins His earthly ministry. And right from the beginning, it tells us in chapter 4, verse 17, from the time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 23 says, Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. Jesus was offering the kingdom to Israel. And to enter into the kingdom, a person has to be righteous. No one in Israel questioned that. But there was a question. And the question is this, what kind of righteousness is necessary? Another way of putting that would be, am I righteous enough to get into the kingdom? So we come to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is answering that question, but he's doing it with little word pictures. He's showing those who were listening to him teach what righteousness looks like. The marks of a righteous person. He's not going to, in this section, talk about how a person can become righteous. In this section, he's not going to talk about his plan for bringing salvation to man. But he is going to show what righteousness looks like. And in the process of showing what righteousness looks like, as we're going to see today, he's going to show that a person who is righteous actually is reflecting the very character of God. I'm going to read the section starting in verse 7 of Matthew 5, and you can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One of the things that Jesus does in this sermon as he is gathered with great numbers of people listening to his teaching is he's showing that righteousness actually depicts God. 
When a person is right with God, their life reflects who God is. Last week we looked at verses 3 and 4 when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And by saying that, Jesus was saying this, If you're truly righteous, you will know that you're not. You'll know that you aren't righteous if you truly are. And in saying what he did in verses 3 through 4, Jesus is actually alluding back to Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 through 3 where it talks about Messiah coming. And when Messiah comes, Messiah will reach out to those who are mourning. He is their answer. And by Jesus saying what he does in verses 3 and 4, he is saying, I'm him. I'm the one that Isaiah 61 verses 1 through 3 looks to. And here today in verses 6 through 9, in verse 10, Jesus once again is going to show that the marks of a righteous person actually look to the one who is righteous, God himself. For many years, I changed my own oil in our cars. It was my one claim to manhood. I'm not mechanical at all, but my dad taught me how to change oil. When we first got married, up till not that many years ago, I always changed our own oil in our car. So I have my ramps, I have my oil filter wrenches. I know how to change oil. I could even put a grease gun on a dirt and and squirt some grease into my vehicle. I, I mean, I did it. It's hard to believe, but I did do it. And then a few years ago, I stopped. I think I started adding up the cost of the oil and the cost of the filters. And then I got these coupons in the mail. And I thought, why am I doing this? I could just go have the professionals do it. And I stopped changing my own oil. And one of the things I like about not changing my own oil is when I take it in and have it changed, when I'm done, there's a little checklist sitting on my passenger seat. And I can take out that little checklist and I can see what the the tread depth is of my tires. And I can look up and see that they did indeed fill all four tires to 35 PSI like I requested. And I can look and see how much brake lining is left. And and it's just really neat because there's this checklist. And and I can just look down at it and it's kind of comforting to know where I stand. Well, the religious leaders in Jesus' day had a checklist. The problem is, it was a checklist for righteousness, and they wrote it. It's a pretty good deal if you can define what your life is supposed to look like, and then make sure that when you write the definition, that you can fit it. And then you can go down the checklist and say, hey, I'm doing pretty good. It makes me feel good. It gives me a sense of peace. Knowing that I fit the list that I wrote. And one of the things that Jesus does here is he takes the religious leader's list and in a sense just turns them upside down. Because the Pharisees, these religious leaders, 
We're measuring being right with God, being righteous, by externals. And Jesus is going to turn that upside down. And so that righteousness is not conformity to an external standard that you write. But it's actually a righteousness on the inside. That's what Jesus is doing. And in so doing, in verses 7 through 9, the first part of these verses that we're going to look at, he's going to show that righteous people reflect God's character. When you look at a person who's right with God, you will be able to see God in them. And Jesus, in verses 7 through 9, is going to single out three characteristics of God. He's going to show three characteristics of a person who is right with God. And in so doing, we'll highlight three characteristics of God. He's going to say that a person who is right with God is merciful. In verse 7. He's going to say that a person who's right with God is pure in heart. In verse 8. And in verse 9, he's going to say that a person who's right with God is a peacemaker. And we're going to, in a little bit, look and see that each one of those descriptions of the person who's right with God are actually descriptions of God. That a person who is right with God reflects him from their life. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is being concerned with someone else's needs. Mercy is compassion. Mercy is being willing to forgive someone who is guilty before you. And here, Jesus says that the person who is merciful is highly favored of God. It's great blessing when a person is able to be in a position where they are right with God. Because the person who is right with God will be reflecting his mercy. The Pharisees didn't think that they needed to be concerned by the hurting. The Pharisees didn't worry about people who were poor. They didn't, they weren't concerned about the person who was ill because they viewed that person as being under God's judgment. If a person was ill, if a person was poor, in the Pharisees' mind, it's because they had offended God in some way. We see that played out for us in John chapter 9. I'll just read the verses. We're going to look at a few different verses today. But in John 9, verses 2 and 3, it says this. His disciples, Jesus' own disciples, asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, it was neither that his man, this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, in Israel's mind, and the little Israelite children were trained up this way, to be hurting, to be poor, to be ill, was a sign of God's judgment on you. 
That's why the disciples said, hey, this guy's blind. He must have sinned or his mom and dad did. And Jesus says, no way. God has allowed that in his life so that he can show how big he is through this man's life. But that's the mentality. Pharisees didn't think, oh, I don't have to worry about that person. Here, Jesus is turning things upside down. And he says in verse 7, you're highly favored by God if you are merciful, if you're compassionate to the needy, if you're concerned about the poor, if you're willing to forgive those who are guilty. And we're going to see that mercy is actually an attribute or a characteristic of God. In verse 8, Jesus says that to be pure in heart is a mark of righteousness. It's a, a trait of a person who is right with God to be pure in heart. Now, for a Pharisee, they thought they were pure because they developed their own checklist. Oftentimes taking a kernel of the Old Testament law and then adding more to it. Well, I'm pure because I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are pure. He says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Because righteousness is not external. Righteousness is internal. You see, Jesus is taking what they thought righteousness was. And in a very counterintuitive way is turning it upside down. In verse 9 he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Do you want to get into the kingdom? You're asking, how much righteousness does it take? What kind of righteousness is it? Am I righteous, righteous enough to get in? And verse 8 says, you want to see God? Verse 9, you want to be called the Son of God? You want to inherit the kingdom? Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, in order to be a peacemaker, you have to be at peace with God. A peacemaker has a message of peace. And that message of peace has everything to do with God. Because God is peace. And what Jesus is doing here in verses 7, 8, and 9 is actually... Giving us a picture of the person who is right with God by giving us a glimpse of who God is. People who are right with God reflect God's character. On June 17, 2015, on a Wednesday evening... A tragedy happened in the United States. It's been in the news this past week. A young man named Dylan Roof, a white supremacist, went to Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church and joined a prayer meeting and subsequently murdered nine people. The very next morning, June 18th, 2015, Barbara and I drove into Charleston on our vacation. And my immediate thought was, oh man, our timing is terrible because this is going to be the worst vacation ever. Because we were staying down in the historic district 
right where the shooting took place. And it was within walking distance of where we were. And I said, this is going to be so depressing and sad. And the very morning we arrived, it was there was a somber tone in Charleston. <clears throat> and what I thought was going to be a bad time to be there actually ended up being a remarkable time to be there. Because what we saw was very different from what we've been seeing across the rest of the nation. Across the rest of our nation, when we see violence like that, it's answered with violence. When we see violence, the next day there's rioting and other people being killed. We walked down to Emmanuel Church that very next day. And in front of the church was the congregation standing out in front of the church. And I was amazed at how many, it's an African American congregation, how many white moms and dads with little children were taking their families down to that church so they could teach their children what happened there. And I saw and watched as members of that congregation embraced those families and hugged them and prayed together. The next night, they shut down downtown or the historic area of Charleston. They shut the streets down because they had a citywide prayer session. And there wasn't other shootings. There wasn't violence erupting. But Christians gathered together. White churches, African-American churches gathered together and prayed. And all of America witnessed the families of these victims expressing to Dylan Roof via a video link that they forgave that young man for his hatred. They demonstrated mercy. You can't fake mercy. You can't just say, oh, I think I'm going to try to look merciful. It doesn't work. Because true mercy doesn't happen as an external. It's internal. And Jesus here is showing that a person who is right with God is going to be demonstrating not an external checklist that they wrote, but the internal realities of what it means to be rightly connected to God. And the person who is rightly connected with God will actually reflect him with his or her life. In verse 7, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. Interesting that God is merciful. Luke chapter 6, verse 36 says this, be merciful just as your Father is merciful. In verse 8, Jesus said, a mark of righteousness is to be pure in heart. God is pure in heart. One of the key verses in the Old Testament that talks about the purity of God, the holiness of God, completely being set apart from any kind of sin, is Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44. 
And in 11.44 of the book of Leviticus, it says this, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. In verse 9, Jesus said that a righteous person is a peacemaker. And yet, when we look at all of Scripture, we see that the Lord is peace. In the book of Isaiah, talking about Messiah, this one who will reign over the kingdom, the kingdom that's being offered to Israel as Jesus begins his ministry, this Messiah in Isaiah chapter 9 Verses 6 and 7, he's described this way. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. You see, the Lord is peace. And so here, Jesus is saying, this is what righteousness looks like. Israelite, you're wondering, how righteous do I have to be to get into the kingdom? Let me show you. Righteousness is not a checklist that you write up. Righteousness is internal, not external. And the person who's right with God actually reflects God with his or her life. A righteous person is merciful. A righteous person is pure. Inside, A righteous person is a peacemaker. Now while Jesus doesn't totally flesh this out in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we eventually see as scripture continues to unfold that for those who become truly righteous, they realize that they can't. Become righteous. Not by themselves. They can't meet the standard that Jesus sets up here. In fact, we alluded to it last week, but one of the key verses here in the Sermon on the Mount is verse 20. It says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And everybody says, Oh, how am I ever going to get in? Because they're the most righteous people that we know. And yet Jesus is showing us that that righteousness, that's their own. And it's not real righteousness. So how does a person enter the kingdom? The Apostle Paul grappled with that question. Because he was a Pharisee. He was following the checklist And he talks about the checklist in Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians 3, he talks about his spiritual journey. He starts in verse 4 and says this. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day 
of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. Paul says, I measured myself according to the Pharisee's checklist. And I came out great. But then Paul goes on to say that he realized it wasn't good enough. He goes on to say in verse 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, literally manure, like a manure pile, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, Derived from the law. Remember what James says in James 2? You can obey the whole law and just fail to obey it in one point, you're guilty of all. And Paul found, I can't be righteous. Maybe found in him not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God. On the basis of faith. You see, being right with God has always come on the basis of faith. Clear back in Genesis chapter 15, it tells us that Abraham believed God. And then it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You see, because righteousness, being right with God, is not something we do. Being right with with God is not some external checklist. Being right with God is internal And Paul came to the point where he realized that he couldn't be a good enough person to be right with God. That's why he finally stopped trying to follow an external checklist and realized that he was a sinner and he couldn't fix it. It's what Jesus talked about last week in verses 3 and 4. A person who's truly righteous knows that they're not. And he became righteous through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Right now, Jesus in his teaching is simply showing Israel pictures of what it looks like to be righteous. Now, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus just like Paul did, we become, at that point, Jesus' followers. We become Christians We are clothed with righteousness. We become righteous men and and women. And what Jesus is describing here is for us. Our lives should look like this. Do they always? No way. Mine doesn't. That's why we can confess our sin. And then come back under the empowerment of the Spirit of God and say, you know what, I need to be more merciful with people. Because that's what a person who is right with God looks like. Marks of righteousness. Well, as we come to the end of these verses in 10 through 12, Jesus touches on one more glimpse, one more picture of what it looks like when a person is right with God. And again, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense because Jesus says this. When people persecute you because of your belief in me, be glad about it. Whoa. 
Look at verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. There's an interesting parallel here. I want you to look at verse 10 and verse 11. Notice verse 10. Jesus says, you're blessed when you are persecuted for the sake of or because of righteousness. Then in verse 11, he says, hey, you're blessed when you are persecuted and insulted and falsely uh, talked about because of me. You see, Jesus is saying here, the same thing It's all the way through here, that righteousness is Jesus. In other words, if you are being persecuted or insulted because of being right with God, it's because of Jesus Christ. Being right with God means you're reflecting Jesus with your life. Why do people persecute you? Why do people make fun of you? Why do people treat you poorly? Jesus says, if it's because of me, that means that you are right with God and your life is reflecting Jesus. If it's because of me, hey, be glad. Rejoice. Be happy about it. My wife, Barbara, and I are empty nesters. And for those of you who aren't there yet, but are close, three words for you. It is great. I love it. Oh, it is so great. It's so great that... Like when we have kids come back, it's kind of like, oh, it's so wonderful that you're here. Let me give you a hug, and there's the door. Have a good trip back home. I mean, it is so good. We can go on a drive, and if I see a sign that says, historic landmark, two miles, I can turn off and go look at it without all the Weimariners in the back scene. What are we doing? Why? Why? I don't want to go look at a sign. None of that anymore. It's great. We can just do what you want. We don't have to hide food anymore. That's great. When we lived in North Dakota, we had this guy that moved into our little town from Chicago. And he literally went back and forth about every 10 days from North Dakota to Chicago for his business. And we figured that out. And he started bringing us Giordano's Pizza. We hid it in the back of our freezer. Our kids went to bed. We whipped it out. We had Giordano's pizza. They never knew. It's, you know, we don't have to do that anymore. It's great. But being empty nesters, you still have to get along. I mean, we spent a lot of time together. And the older I get, the longer my list of pet peeves. Oh, man, I've got so many of them. And one of my pet peeves is when my wife blinds me with her cell phone. So we're driving along, and she has her phone or her iPad out, and she gets it at a certain angle, and the the sunlight comes through the windows of the car and refracts off her cell phone right into my line of vision, and she blinds me. It's Barbara, I can't see you're blinding me with your phone and I'll take my hand and try to change the angle. It's not a bad thing if that's kind of the 
example of our spats, but we still have them. So she's blinding me with her phone. I said, you can't. You, I've talked to you about this before. Change the angle. I, I try to push away the light. Why do you think people persecute Christians? Because they're pushing away the light. Why do people who are around a Christian, who stand in rejection of Jesus Christ, why do you think they don't like Christians? Because the presence of the reflection of Jesus off the life of that Christian reminds them of the reality of the person of Jesus Christ, the one they're rejecting. It's hard for us to really identify as North Americans with, with, with what Jesus says here when he says, blessed are those who have been persecuted. I, I've never been persecuted, and probably not many of us. Lot, like Paul in Virginia today, that guy they talked about, he, he was persecuted. His family took his stuff and took it in the town square and burned it. Basically wrote him off. He was persecuted. I, we, we don't experience that. But Jesus does something here in verse 11 that helps us get our arms around this a little bit. Because in verse 11, he goes on and says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We can identify with that. In the workplace, someone undercuts you and know, well, I know this guy. He's not going to do anything about it. He's a Christian. I can get away with it. We know what it's like to be insulted because our life looks different than theirs. And here, Jesus is saying, when you are insulted, when you're taken advantage of, because of the way you are living your life, you are actually reflecting the light of Jesus off of your life. And people try to push that light away because it's a reminder of the reality of the person of Jesus Christ who they stand in rejection against. So Jesus says here, we've got a couple choices. We can respond like the world does and fight back. That's what our inclination would be. But remember, Jesus turns everything upside down. He's talking about righteousness being inward, not an external. And the reality of being right with God demonstrates itself in verse 12. Because the person who's right with God in living out their faith so that Jesus Christ can be reflected off their life to others, it tells us in verse 12, that person will rejoice and be glad. Jesus said, don't be surprised. It happened to the prophets before you. People are going to push away the light because the presence of the light reminds them of the reality of the person of Jesus Christ. And that's not comfortable. That hurts. Glimpses of righteousness. Throughout it, Jesus is making this point. Righteous people reflect God. Now you may be here today and, and in your heart and mind, you say, man, I don't know if I'm right with God or not. 
And as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to be very clear that to be right with God can't happen as a result of us doing things. It, it's, it, we can't be good enough. Paul found that out. He tried to have a checklist. It didn't work. So he came to faith in his brokenness and found righteousness. And if you're here today and you feel like that's where you are, I encourage you, don't leave today without knowing you're right with God. One of our leaders, one of our elders will be back in the prayer room and you can stop back there. We've got material we can just send with you. You can take out a Bible and look up passages that show how you can know for sure you are right with God. Or maybe you're here today and you're just burdened. I encourage you to spend some time in prayer this morning after you leave. Jesus here in these pictures of righteousness reminds us that righteous people reflect God's character. Father, we thank you for these verses. We thank you that as followers of Jesus, you have put us in a privileged position where we actually have the ability and the privilege to reflect Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised when people push that away. We thank you for what Jesus has done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.